Good morning, church. I'd like you please to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, and we're going to continue through this very, very profound, and I must say, um, as I stand before you, <laughs> or as the commentators were telling me this week, this section of Scripture is perhaps the most difficult in all of the Bible. So as I come to you, I'm persuaded God's given us a word, but I need you to pay careful attention and follow with me this morning, because this is not a, a sermon that's going to just be uh, a quick and easy sort of one-pointer. It is highly technical, and the only reason why we want to delve into the depths of it is because of its profound. I want to say that this morning, profound meaning for you and me as Christ followers. Nothing that Jesus says is wasted. Do you believe that this morning? Everything in God's Word, even down to the comma, even down to the dots, even down to the iota, is for you. And so, I want to ask you to buckle your seatbelts, and uh, we're going to trust in the Holy Spirit that He's going to come and make this Word alive to us this morning, and that He's going to give us great clarity and power as we, as we do it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think, Jesus speaking, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but, he has the profound word, to fulfill them. Verse 18, for truly, he's being deadly serious. When Jesus says, for truly, he's not joking. I say to you, on his own authority, he says this, not a until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, which is the smallest Greek letter, not a dot will pass from the law. Talking about the first five books of the Old Testament. Not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And I want us to zone in this morning in this verse 18 of this thing of the Mosaic law. I want to preach on what is our relationship to the law of Moses. And I'm going to explain why it's important for us in a moment. But I want to just very briefly recap as to how we got here this morning. The first is that this Sermon on the Mount is preaching to Jesus' disciples. I'm going to take every opportunity I can to say that a Christian has one purpose only. It is to follow the person of Jesus. Can I say that again? If you are a Christian, you know why you are here. It is to follow one person. His name is Jesus. He is your authority. That is why a Christian is called a disciple. And secondly, he talks about in the Beatitudes what the description or characteristics of those who make Christ the authority and passion and pursuit of their lives are going to look like. It's called the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, verse 2 to 12. And they are radical. They are beautiful. They have the greatest reward. They lead to the greatest blessing anyone could ever have foretold. And because of the nature of a person who loves and follows Jesus, this is the point. It's not a person who follows a code or a system, a person who follows the person of Jesus Christ. Because of the outworking of what that does in you, it makes you something in the world. And Jesus calls us, his disciples, those that are going after him, salt and light. You look different. You taste different. When the world looks at you, they see a person that is gripped by a different system, a different passion, a different love. You are totally baffling to the world because of your love for Jesus. But notice, this is what we mentioned last week. Notice something profound 
is happening here. Jesus, in describing a follower of him and describing the kind of life that they were going to live and the kind of person they were going to be in the world, he has not mentioned once anything about the Mosaic law. Now for the Jew who was listening to him and looking on at Jesus, this was something that was radical. They were taught, if you were a Jew boy or girl, from the earliest age you were trained, the way you had to please God, the way you were righteous, that's the word, was by keeping the law. And Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, the very thing that you thought was going to be the way that you had to live, the very system, the very mechanism of the way that trained every aspect of your life as a Jew was going to be changed. And Jesus says, the kind of hungering and thirsting for righteousness he's talking about is an absence of the law. And the kind of righteousness that you are persecuted for, says in in the eighth beatitude, is the absence of of the law. It is not righteousness according to the law of the prophets. It's a righteousness according to Jesus. And his disciples would have thought, this guy is abolishing the law of Moses and he's rewriting scripture. Not once has he mentioned a single verse of Old Testament scripture, not so. And so Jesus says, do not think, he is such a wise teacher. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And we looked last week at how profound that statement was. Nobody in the history of the earth had ever said they would fulfill the law and the prophets. It was crazy. And Jesus was talking about fulfilling the 2,000 plus pieces of legislation that governed every single aspect of Israel. It's moral, it's civil, it's ceremonial life. Not only that, he said he was going to fulfill everything the prophets point to. Amazing. But this still leaves us, his disciples, with the same dilemma that his first disciples had. Is now that Jesus has arrived, what do we do with this law of Moses? How do we relate to this Old Testament? And this week, I want us to look at how long does the authority of the law of Moses last for? And how does it apply to you and me as a disciple of Jesus? Now, why do I need to take time to do that this morning? I want to be very careful about and, and, and very pointed about why I'm spending time on this. The first is in our own city, there is a false teaching that is around. It's quietened down a little bit, but five years ago it was rampant. And it was a false teaching that wanted to bring sincere Christians back under the law of Moses. And this group that was seeking, and is still seeking to influence sincere Christ-following Christians, they call themselves Torah Christians, or Torah-observant Christians, or they like to use it followers of Yeshua. That's his Hebrew name. They don't like the Greek name Jesus, Jesus. And what they do is they teach, and they're not even all certain about it, but they have different opinions, but they teach that the law or certain aspects of it must be kept. And what they do is they do it in a very subtle way. They do it by attacking the New Testament scriptures. And what these guys do in our city is they teach you that the New Testament scriptures in Greek were not really the most faithful version. That all of Paul's writings, they were corrupted. And the actual fact... The Old Testament is the purest and highest form that we have. And because of that, the Testament, the New Testament scriptures that point back to the law can't really be trusted. And I say this because 
It has upset families, even in this church. And it has upset churches. And many sincere Christians, personally people that I love and know, have been affected by this teaching. It damages our faith. And they are largely undercover. They will only attend small groups. They won't attend the main church. They won't come to the senior pastor and talk about their doctrine. They'll try and influence their friends. I want to say to you this morning, if you want to be a sincere follower of Jesus, my friend, you are a prime target of them. Because only a person who wants to please God will consider going back under the law of Moses. Only a person who wants to be righteous and wants to please God in the way that they live will, con- will even entertain what these people say. And they will self-admittedly say it. They go after sincere Christians. They don't go after the lost. Can I say to you this morning, as one of your elders, and in fulfillment of my role called by me in Scripture, is to have nothing to do with them spiritually. Be respectful, but if they want to take you down that path, you don't engage. You cannot reason with them. They don't even accept the final authority of the Scriptures we hold to you for our rationale of how we relate to the law, have nothing to do with them. But also, that's the first thing, is because of what you're going to face, and it will come sometime in your life. It's been happening for 2,000 years in the church. That's why the, the book of Galatians was written, because people were trying to pull Christians back under the law of Moses. But the second is this, and this is our bigger challenge here, I would say, in the 21st century, is because we are not under law, but under grace, according to Romans chapter 6, verse 14, we think we are free to do as we please, not so? The heresy is called antinomianism, anti-law. That in actual fact, righteous living doesn't matter because we are righteous in Christ. In a sense, because we are no longer under law, Christ gives us a blank check to live and do as we please. And so we kind of curb and adjust the commands of Scripture to suit our own needs and lusts. And my friend, this morning, if there's one thing you're going to see in the Sermon on the Mount, it is this. Is that if you're going to follow Jesus... The righteousness that he calls you to will far exceed what the law could ever bring about in your life. Right in the very next section in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, it says in the law that you shall not commit murder, but I tell you on my authority, you don't even get angry at your brother. Jesus says that the law says do not commit adultery, but I tell you on my authority that even if you look at a woman lustfully in your heart, you've committed adultery already. Jesus will say, if you're going to be my disciple, your righteousness is going to go way beyond than what the law could ever achieve. And so this morning, guys, you need to know, if you're going to follow Jesus, he's going to change you into a holy person. This is not just about enjoying a privilege. It is enjoying the purpose of salvation, which is to make you like Christ. And Paul says, if you're going to go back to the law, he calls it elementary. He calls it play school. He calls it daycare. He calls it creche. He says, if you want to go back under the law, the kind of righteousness it's going to produce in you, it's going to be like a little baby, like my Elijah can be a little guardian, a little daycare, change your nappy, it will never make you matriculate. Because the kind of righteousness Jesus is wanting far exceeds, that's the point in Matthew chapter 5 verse 20, it says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so this morning it matters how we handle the law because it matters how we actually enter the kingdom in terms of our relationship to it. So the first is this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 gives us a clue about how the Christian is to relate to the law of Moses. 
And it's in this mighty word that Jesus used. He says, I have not come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now I ask you this morning, what does fulfill mean? Does it mean to continue as always? Does it? Does it mean to keep going? Does it mean to supplement or enlarge or to fill out or expand? It doesn't even mean to obey. Jesus didn't say, I haven't come to obey the law and the prophecies. I've come to fulfill them. He doesn't even mean cause others to obey. Friends, fulfill means nothing of this. Fulfill means completed, done, accomplished. Not just one aspect of the law. Every single dot and comma, Jesus completed 100%. He fulfilled it. He did it. He accomplished it. He completed it. And what that means for you and me is, and I'm going to take a bit of time to argue this point because it's important, is it means that the law in itself is incomplete. It means that the law was pointing to someone to fulfill it. And I'm going to push pause there for a moment because we have to ask ourselves the question, and I'm hoping you're asking it by now. Why on earth was the law ever given in the first place? If the law of Moses did not produce the righteousness that God required, why was it ever even necessary? Well, to understand that, first and foremost, we have to look at when the law of Moses actually arrived. Do you know when the law of Moses rocked up on planet earth? Was 430 years after Abraham. 430 years. In other words, until Mount Sinai, 430 years later, not a single follower of God ever needed the law. Adam didn't need the law. Abel didn't need the law. Noah didn't need the law. Abraham didn't need the law. They could know and have a relationship with God and please Him without there ever being a Mosaic law. And the model is the model of faith. God comes to these men. He says to Noah, build me a boat. It's going to rain. Noah does it. He exercises faith. He believes God and he's righteous. He gets rescued from the flood. Abel, seeing the model of Eden where God kills an animal to clothe Adam and Eve with skins. He sees blood has to cover the sin in order for there to be forgiveness of sin. He knows that when he has to offer the sacrifice to God, he brings his animal where Cain, well, he brings his own works, his own harvest. Never in the life of the believer was the law ever necessary individually in order to have a relationship with God. But what happened was this 430 years later, the promise of Abraham was being fulfilled. They estimate about one to two million Jews were now a great nation in Egypt. And that's a problem because God has to keep his promise to Abraham, to the world, that from Abraham, an offspring, it's a singular, it's not plural, an offspring through Abraham is going to come, that through every family in every nation, blessing is going to be poured out. And he has to keep his promise so that the world can see that the descendant of Abraham was going to be the one to rescue the world. And so what does he have to do? Paul says he has to introduce the law when this nation is massive, in order to keep it separate from the world, in order to stop intermarriage, 
damaging the line of Abraham, in order for them to stop running after the gods of the nations so that when the seed arrives, Israel is faithful, Israel is loyal, Israel is following and loving and serving the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So, Paul says it was an account of transgressions that the law was given, and he says it was only for a period of time. It would be until the seed of Abraham arrived. And that answers our question, why the law? It was to keep Israel moral, separate, and upright, and loyal to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob until, Galatians 3.19, until Jesus came. And so that's why when you read your Old Testament, you see that the law is always incomplete. Do you notice that they have to keep offering sacrifices every single day? Why? Because the blood of goats and bulls can never cleanse us permanently from our sin. That's it. Every year, they have to sacrifice a Passover lamb. Every year, there is this day of atonement. And let me tell you, it was a scary day for the guy who had to go in called the high priest. This guy, he had to wear bells on his clothes and pomegranates on the hem of his garments because when he had to go into the Holy of Holies, which is only once a year, the people outside had to hear if he was still alive. Because the risk of this imperfect high priest who changed, it rotated because he died, and you're never quite sure if he, if he was going to be good enough, if his sin was going to be acceptable, had to go into the Holy of Holies to intercede for the nation, and you weren't sure if he was going to come out. Every year, over and over, the law was incomplete. Until, until Jesus Christ arrived. And friends, this morning, Jesus fulfills the law forever. Don't you think it's beautiful? When Jesus rocks up on his public ministry, what's the first thing John the Baptist says? Behold the Lamb that comes to take away the sin of the world. Right from the very second of his public ministry, Jesus is being associated as fulfilling the law, the Passover Lamb. He was going to be offered up for the world so that God could pass over our sin. And when did he die? On Passover Friday, my friends, the start to the finish of his life was perfectly timed so that God fulfilled the law for you and me. Not only that, is we start to see that this amazing God of heaven, he says by Hebrews chapter 10 verse 14, by one sacrifice, one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. It's not the, the blood of bulls and goats, it's the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one sacrifice completes the need for justice against sin. Hebrews says, you are the priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Forever. Our high priest never changes because he has fully satisfied, fully fulfilled the law. Now, let's add it in there. He says, if there's a change of priesthood, there's a change of law. So then why? This is my question this morning. Why does Jesus say in the very next verse, if he's fulfilled the law, why does he say, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Why doesn't Jesus say in the next verse, if you're still with me, that the law continues until the end of this age if he's arrived? That's the tricky question. He's saying until heaven and earth pass away, not a single dot. Some like to point to just the moral aspects of the law being applicable to us. No, no, he says every single dot and comma is going to be applicable. The full force of it is going to be active until the end of this age, until God makes the new heaven and new earth in which righteousness dwells. 
Oh. <laughs> this is a dilemma for his disciples because he's just said, I've come to fulfill it. And I want to unpack with the time remaining that we have the incredible statements of God saying that there are going to be two criteria under which the law exercises its authority. The first is the law is not going anywhere. Until the end of this age, it's going to stand in full authority. However, there's a second time clause, it's called. Until all is accomplished, the full authority of the law is going to stand. It's two clauses. One, until the end of this age, but secondly, something's going to happen in which it's going to enable the authority of the law to cease. So, can I say to those of, maybe you've heard before saying that the, the ideal goal of God is to bring his church back under the law. Can I say to you this morning, you remind that person that tells you that, you remind that the law is not eternal. It is going to pass away with this age. Heaven is not keeping the Mosaic law. Praise the Lord. Any of you had bacon this morning? Anyone put up your hand? Bacon and eggs? Maybe it's a little early. Normally you go out, eh? You'll get to enjoy Wearing the most wonderful clothes in heaven. It won't have to be one material. You can shave your sideburns. You'll be able to have lots and lots of fun. Seven days a week, you'll get to enjoy freedom from the law when the next age arrives. It is not restoring all these people, all the nations back under the law. It's not that. The law is going to pass away. And the second is to ask yourself the question, who does the law apply to? This is what I learned. Who does it exercise authority over? Do you know that it only exercises authority over Israel? The physical descendants of Abraham, those who through circumcision are aligned in the bloodline of Abraham. Think about it for a moment. Only Israel was given the law on Mount Sinai, right? There weren't any other nations when they were standing before this holy mountain. God says, I brought you out of Egypt and I'm giving this law to you. And only Israel entered into the sworn oath to keep it. Some think that the law was given to the nations. No, the nations don't need to obey the law because it was only given to Israel. The physical descendants of Abraham represented by physical circumcision. And, and I never saw this before. But do you notice that the law is not evangelistic? What did God say to the Jews when they had to go into Canaan? Did they say, convert the Canaanites? No, they said, kill them. That's not a good evangelistic program, right? God says, don't try and convert these people. You kill them. And nowhere, you look in the whole of the Old Testament, nowhere will a Jew ever be told to evangelize the law. Have you thought about it? I was reading the story of Jonah and the whale to my little girl the other day. First thing that she learned, what does Jonah say to that great city of Nineveh? He says, 40 days and God is going to overthrow the city. Does he mention the law? No. Does he say you must come and sacrifice in Jerusalem three times a year? That you must come and obey all of these 2,000 plus land, ceremonial, all of these laws? No, no. He says, 40 days, I'm going to overthrow the city. And what does Nineveh do? It says, and the people of Nineveh believed God. 
They called for a fast and put sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Their faith in God's word spared their city. Repentance and faith led to the salvation of Nineveh. Not a single ounce of the Mosaic law. Have you ever thought about this? When Naaman, you might know this, might be a bit obscure, he was the commander of the army of Syria. He had leprosy. He didn't look very nice. And he was desperate to be healed. And he went to the prophet Elisha. And Elisha gave him a prophecy and said, dip yourself seven times in the river of Jordan and you'll be healed. He believed God. He was healed. And he's converted. But it's the weirdest story. He says to Elijah, I'm going to pack two mule loads of earth from Israel. And I'm going to take my mules. I'm going to go back to Damascus. I'm going to build the altar. I'm going to sacrifice to the God of heaven. And when I go into the temple of Rimon, this pagan god of the Syrians, because I have to lean, my, my master, the king, has to lean on my arm to go into this pagan temple. Don't hold it against me. I believe in the God of heaven. And Elisha lets him go. In actual fact, he's breaking the law. You're not allowed to sacrifice outside of Jerusalem. But Elisha lets him go. Why? Because the law of Moses is for the people of Israel. They swore covenant to it, and they had to keep it. And that is why, my friend, when you look at the book of Ruth, when Ruth, this Moabites, she's outside of the kingdom of Israel, and she says to Naomi, let your people be my people, your God be my God. When she wants to come into Israel, she has to obey the law. And you'll remember that story of Boaz, King David's great-grandfather. He has to go through all the technicalities of being a kinsman redeemer. I don't have time to explain it. But he has to obey the law so that Ruth can come into the grafted purpose of Abraham's physical promise that from his offspring, Jesus would come. And you remember who Jesus is descended from? From David. Now, Amazing thing is this qualifying second time clause. And I say that after the first, the law is in full force over Israel till the end of this age. But Jesus said, but it's either the end of the age or until all is accomplished. And this is the second time clause which limits the first. And it is the disclaimer. And what Jesus is saying is the authority of the law exists till the end of this age unless it is accomplished. Then its authority ceases. And I'm going to explain it. I'm almost there. That normally means I've got three points to go. Someone told me the other day. <laughs> Who of you have discovery status here? Vitality. Any of you, when you raise your hands, any of you don't know what vitality is? I'm on vitality and uh, every year, I have to get 90,000 points to get to gold, right? To get my status, I have to get those points. And if I had to explain it like this, my vitality status, the end of the age is till the end of the year. And when the end of the year happens, my time's up. And under strict punishment, if I don't get those 90,000 points, I lose my status. But what is the disclaimer clause? is if I get 90,000 before the end of the year, I'm free. I'm on diamond, baby. I've been on gold for three years running. And when I get to 90,000 points, I'm there already, May. Discovery can try what they like to try and threaten me, to try and bring me under the authority, to try and get me to do what they want me to do. They can't do it. I've reached the status already. I've accomplished it. I'm gold. In actual fact, I'm diamond status. 
I fulfilled their law. And though they threaten, though they say till the end of the age, till the end, you have till the end of the year to keep this thing. I'll say, I've made it already. I fulfilled it. I've got 90,000 points of May. I'm partying for the rest of the year. You have got no authority over me. Do you know what Jesus did? Is he achieved diamond status for you? Do you know what you are as a Christian? You aren't a person that's come back under the power of the law. You've been one who's delivered, been delivered from the law. And that's what Galatians 4 verse 4 to 5 says. But when the fullness of time had come, here's Jesus Christ. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Jesus fulfilled. He got the 90,000 points. He did it perfectly so that his status is diamond. And that when you come to faith in Jesus, you get his status. You are put in Christ. You receive diamond status so that the follower of Jesus has fulfilled the righteousness of the law in him. Can I say to you this morning, the law is not your authority, Jesus is. I'll say it again. Christian, the law is not your authority, Jesus is is you are saved. You are only saved. You only become a Christian by coming under the authority of Jesus. Notice what Jesus said? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through? But through? Through the law? By keeping the law? You are under the authority of Christ. And the amazing thing is, Because you are a disciple of Jesus, you are not a disciple of Moses. And there couldn't be a stronger moment in the history of the church where there you've got these 120 disciples praying. And it's Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, do you know what Pentecost is? It's the celebration of the giving of the law. And what does God pour out? The law? He pours out the Spirit. On the anniversary, don't think these things are accidents. Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to come after me, if you're going to achieve the righteousness I have for you, if you're going to enter into all of the inheritance I have for you, it's not going to come through obeying the law. It's going to come through the outpouring of the Spirit in you. If you live by the Spirit, Christian, you will go out, you'll outclass the law in all of its punishment, in all of its threats. How much would it really achieve in Israel? Over and over, they couldn't produce the righteousness God required. But he says, if you will come under the authority of Jesus, and what Paul says, if you will walk by the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. That's an intentional thing. Romans chapter 8 verse 3 to 4 says, and this is the irony. The irony is not only does Jesus fulfill the righteousness, righteous requirements of the law, but we eventually fulfill the righteous requirements of the law by following him. Because we go much higher in righteousness than the law could ever produce. You with me? I hope you are. Romans chapter 8, verse 3 to 4. I'm getting there. For God, this is it. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And here it is. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. 
is Jesus is going to take you even higher in your righteousness than what the law could ever do. It will be righteous from the inside out, not the outside in. And I'm going to steal what Michael Eaton said. It was such a profound saying for me, and I'm going to share it with you. We'll talk about it in the weeks to come. If you walk by the Spirit deliberately, you will fulfill the law accidentally. Isn't that amazing? Do you know, when you walk by the Spirit, you'll know just by saying a thing a certain way. I'll be vulnerable. Luke came to share something that he wanted to share in the service, and I answered him, but I was a bit aggressive in my heart. I don't know if it affected Luke, but the Spirit said me that was not right. I have to open a book to confess and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I actually want to say, Luke, you did such a brilliant job of sharing that word. God spoke to me. But he spoke to me by what? By a book? By law? By the Spirit. When we start to develop an understanding, we walk by the Spirit. Our desire for Jesus is made real by the Spirit. Every day, you're coming yourself and you're saying, fill me, Holy Spirit. Help me live this life at a supernatural level. It's not some sort of mysticism. It's not some sort of weird, airy-fairy sort of smoke and lights coming into your room. It is having the sensitivity of being trained that the Spirit tells you even your words, even your thoughts, even your emotions need to be aligned with Jesus. Sterling. If you will go back to a law theology, you will never achieve what God wants to give you. And let me tell you, what Jesus will lead you into will never contradict the righteousness of the law. Righteousness is not how you shave your face. There are many reasons why God told Israel to do that. Because there were religious practices, there were perverse religious practices in Canaan that Israel was going to go into. And he says, you don't copy any of that because you are separate. The same thing that is said in the law in spirit, the spirit of it. We are separate because we walk by the spirit. Friends, that is the essence of what Jesus is saying. He has accomplished it. So I summarize in his last three points. Ha <laughs> ha, I told you there'll be three points. You've done so well this morning. Is one, who does the authority of the law apply to? Israel. For how long? Till the end of this age. That is why. When the majority of the Jews rejected Jesus, they came under the curse of the law. AD 70, trashed Jerusalem. Those Romans smashed the temple. To this day, they don't have the temple back, and even if they did, they don't even have the records of genealogy in order to institute the priesthood. They can never recover and institute an incomplete system because they rejected Jesus. The only way a Jew comes out from under the law is coming under the authority of Jesus. And the same thing is for you this morning as a Gentile, a non-Jew. You are under the law of your conscience. You don't need the book of law to tell you that you're sinful. I don't. You know that you lie. You know that you steal. You know that you hurt people. Your conscience is the law in your life. And creation, the law of creation says, there's a God who made this all. You have to suppress the facts to tell you that God exists. And your law as a Gentile is the conscience and creation. And if you, I'm telling you now, if you don't realize that you are not good enough by listening to your conscience and by understanding that even though there's this God in creation, you have not sought Him, you're in trouble. The only way you are delivered from the curse of sin is coming under the authority of Jesus. The wages of sin is death. My friend, do you know Jesus this morning? I'm not asking you, do you know the Sunday school story? I'm not asking you whether you know church. I'm not asking if you know Christians. I'm asking you, do you know Jesus? 
Jesus is the authority of your life. And unless you come under him and put your faith in him, you are not saved. You are under the law, under the law of creation, under the law of sin, under the law of conscience. When you stand before the Father and he says, you did not obey my son, you can try and say, I tried to do this and this and this. He'll tell you, you know your conscience told you you didn't get it right. Salvation is in Christ alone. And so for the Christian, sterling, for the disciple, sterling, we don't want to go back to what couldn't bring us into the fullness of the promise of God. We don't want to go back to the law of Moses. That's kindergarten. That's elementary. We're coming to Christ. We're coming to the power of the Spirit. We're coming to the Word of God, seeing the fulfillment of Christ upon it, seeing our purpose, seeing our passion, seeing all of the program of God moving forward in a person, Jesus. Do we disrespect the Lord? No, we love it. Why? Because it shows us the fullness of Christ. Do we live under it? No. I tell you, Jesus is going to say, if we live by the Spirit, if we read the Scriptures by the Spirit, if we understand that all of our praying is even but the help of the Spirit, it is the Spirit that leads us into all truth. It is the Spirit that reminds us of all truth. We live by the Spirit. If that is you this morning, you will enter into what God has for you. I ask you the question, are you interested? Is your heart soft to the Lord? Do you want to please Him from the heart? Do you want to walk by the Spirit? If that is you, my friend, you're in line for the blessed life. Not easy, but blessed. The kingdom of heaven will open up to you. And the next week we'll see how you will be called great. If not by people, by God himself. Let's leave what is elementary and pursue what really brings the promise of God. Let's pray. Praise you, Jesus. You fulfilled the law so that we might have diamond status. Wow. Freedom. Freedom to become like Jesus. Freedom to enjoy Jesus. Freedom to have fellowship with Jesus. To live under the authority of the Son of God. Lord, you said that this law is going to pass away at the end of the age, but your words last forever. Your authority is forever. You are our high priest forever. You are sacrificed forever. Forever the blood is perfect for the Father. Praise you, Lord. Praise you for pouring out the Spirit. We don't live by a dead code. Lord, the saints of old long to look into what we enjoy today. The full outpouring of the promise of the Spirit of God so that we might receive this adoption as sons and daughters. We might receive the Spirit that says, Abba, Father, we might know you even at the point of holy of holies, even at the point of seeing that only one guy got to see for a moment once a year, we get to experience daily. Amazing love. Amazing God, we praise you this morning. I pray this morning, Lord, we don't want a law written on pages. We want a law written on our hearts. We want hearts that please you, Lord. We want lives that live by the Spirit. 
We want lives that want to enter into the fullness of the Spirit of God that gives us Jesus. We want to read the Word with the Spirit. We want to worship in spirit and truth. We want to be people that understand we walk by the Spirit of God that gives us Jesus. We pray for that, Lord. And we pray for anybody here this morning that's never seen this before. That they have to come into the authority of Christ. I pray this morning you save them. Save them from themselves, Lord. Save them from this flesh, this self-effort, this self-righteousness, Lord. Save them into the freedom of grace that gives us Jesus. We pray for this in your precious and mighty name. Amen. Amen. Well done. You made it.